We're back for another week of defense with DC Dan Carroll and joining me to discuss some defense that he saw this weekend at the college level, USFL Michigan Panthers Dan Carroll. Dan, great to have you back again. Great to be back, Keith. Thanks for having me. What I love about the season is I really think it's an opportunity to continue to learn. And so you learn from your own game, certainly. But if you're sitting around watching ball on the weekend, you know, it's an opportunity to learn and pick up little things there as well. And, and there are little things that you can work right now over the course of the season. And I always take notes as I'm watching things. And I know I drive people crazy if I'm watching a football game with them because I'm always rewinding and looking at something again. But it truly is a chance to learn and get better. And I know for you, thematically, we saw a few things. And one of the main things we're going to talk about here today is tackling. So talk to us about some of the things you saw in the tackling realm. Well, you know, I think the zero-week games, the guys that get to participate in that, I think that's great for them because, you know, some will have long trips during the season, but they also get an extra bye week too, you know, which is, you know, which is nice. But I think it's really, really good for the coaches that didn't participate in them and they can get, you know, refreshed and reminded about the things that happened in the first game that, you know, sometimes you let slip. And I think watching the games this weekend, the big theme for me was tackling. And it, it was the cause of a lot of the big plays in the games that I saw. And there were just a lot of fundamentals that, you know, I'm certain that the coaching staffs were not, not coaching and not expecting to see in the game. So, you know, I, I think if you're sitting around as a college coach who gets kicked off this weekend, I think that you need to be taking note of the things that went wrong in those games and trying to make sure as you go through this week of practice, you're not letting those same things happen. So, you know, with the tackling, you know, I know that a lot of coaches, myself included, we all look back after the first game or so and think about, you know, we had a lot of time really to get ready for this game. You're really preparing for this game once you get started, you know, with your off-season program, you know, in college, whatever, that's in February. It's so six and a half, seven months. And, you know, I, I think your tackling preparation and tackling teaching and tackling has to start there. And I'm not saying that necessarily, you know, people did or didn't that they were playing this weekend. But, you know, when I was playing, and I think probably a lot of people that are coaching now and not even too many years ago, you approach tackling – maybe like, all right, we're going to tackle really hard in camp or we're going to tackle in spring ball. And that's how we're going to build, build our tackling ability and our drills. But, you know, I really think that you have to build a tackling system and tackling drills that you can do starting day one of off season. And by day one off season, I mean, you got to be able to tackle in shorts and t-shirts and unsupervised and not maybe tackle the ground or whatever, but build drills that you can do you know, in that time frame. And I think that for us, we talk about you know, one of the main things we do in tackling is what I call power foot. And a power foot is it's pretty simple. It just means that we want to get our power foot in the ground. Like if we're going to make a right shoulder tackle, and you know, we have some other things about how we, uh, where we strike and, and where we put our eyes, where we put our shoulders, that type of thing. But power foot, we're going to get our right foot in the ground as our right shoulder is making contact for making a right shoulder tackle. Because one of the biggest issues that you see is people put their get their foot in the ground and then go off the diving board, right? They're not making contact with their right shoulder and their right foot at the same time, right? Or left shoulder, whatever it is. So power foot. That's one thing that, you know, we put on as a staff 
you know, when I was at UMass and you know, all of our coaches, we wrote those, those cues, one of them being powerful, up on the board. Okay, how do we drill this now in February? With our limited time, our 15, 20 minutes of individual drill work, we're not really using bags, we're not really, you know, based on what you're allowed to do, what you're not allowed to do, like how do we get this stuff drilled? And then what is the plan through the year to get us there? Because you just don't have enough time. You don't have enough time to get a – tackling ready product on the field if you just say you're going to tackle in training camp i mean the reps get less and less it seems like every year and you know the rosters aren't as deep you know there's a lot of movement on the rosters and it's really hard to go into a season without your best guys so you know i think that having a a plan that starts in the first day of your off season whenever that is high school college pro whatever it is that takes you to that first game and how we're going to tackle. Because, you know, I'll say last year I had a freshman linebacker who had, I believe, I almost quote, I'm not going to be off by a cut too many if I am off at all. I think he had 29 live tackle opportunities in training camp. Not plays that we were live, but where he was actually live, they were live, and he was actually making a live tackle in training camp and, you know, whatever it was, 30 practices. So 26 practices or whatever it is. So, when you think about that, a guy who hadn't played a whole lot, and we got to go play, open the season with Pitt and Boston College, and he's a young player, that's not enough. Right? I don't think anybody that's listening would say that's enough. So, you know, you can create a few more in your in your practice, in your indie, and those type of things. But, you know, to me, very important to have a tackling plan that, that's all year and drills that can be done in the off season when the players want to do extra work, when they're in T-shirts, that type of thing. I think extremely valuable. When you're looking at – creating the the tackle plan. You mentioned one with the power foot. What are the other key areas you like to focus on to build sets of drills around? Well, I think when it comes to tackling, you got to define the tackling situations that you're going to be in and and try to keep it as simple as possible. I mean, you can really build that out to nine, 10 things if you want, but I try to focus on profile tackles and angle tackles. And I think, you know, profile tackles, exactly what you probably think it is. I think most people probably have heard the Seahawks tackling the rugby stuff, but, you know, we're going to power foot through the center of the guy's body, put your shoulder in his sternum, put your eyes through his armpit, and you're going to, you know, you're going to run your feet on contact. We tell the guys the fight begins on contact. So, you know, those cues, can those four or so cues be simple enough and you can build a drill around each one of them? How do you train guys to power foot in T-shirts? Well, maybe they hold a bag and they just one step power foot, my foot hits the ground, my shoulder strikes at the same time. Right, how do you train them to run their feet? Maybe it's a similar setup, right? Feet got to run. You got to just push the guy past a, a line or a cone. You know, where do my eyes go? You know, I got to change my level. You know, my eyes go through the armpit when it's a profile tackle. So I just think, how do you take each one of those cues, break it down, and then find a way to drill it without a lot of violence or a lot of speed and do it without pads? So I think those things, however you do, teach your drills. And I also think, if you don't know that your cues can be built that way, then it might be important to look at coaching tackling a little different because the most important thing is going to be how you rep it and how you drill it. Because that's something we certainly want to account for in our practice plans, and I agree having a year-round plan and thinking about how you're going to progress through the season is important. Now, getting into some of the games and specifically some things, I know the game that was probably most interesting this weekend and we did talk about it on our on our offensive focused 
podcast this week as well is the Nebraska Northwestern game. And I know that's one you paid attention to. Yeah. I mean, first of all, I think it was awesome for college football to, to be overseas and just have a packed stadium. I mean, really, really incredible just sight to just see how big the game of college football really is. And especially you're talking about I mean, two tradition rich teams, but not like maybe the most marquee teams in the country right now, but just, you know, awesome, awesome game and experience for those players and coaches. But yeah, looking at, at that game, you know, I thought, you know, a lot of respect for both the defensive coordinators there. You know, Eric Canander's a guy that has run some similar stuff to what I've been a part of at, at other places, at, you know, the University of Houston specifically, and they used his tape over the years and just a lot of respect for him. And consider him, you know, pretty innovative, especially with the front in the tight front. He, he had done some things over the years, uh, changing up the tight front that, you know, things that I've been a part of looking at and possibly using ourselves over time. So, you know, a lot of respect for him and have studied his defenses and whatnot. But, you know, I thought the interesting things, I thought there were some good adjustments made in the game. I thought Northwestern, if you look early on in the game, sitting in a lot of quarters and they actually got beat on a, like an RPO glance. Maybe it was on the first drive. They get beat on an RPO glance. It goes, you know, inside the safety and around the apex player. And that's something that, you see a lot in college football, guys try to fit that ball in there. And then later on in the game, you see they a little bit deeper play by the by the apex players and actually getting hands on those guys. Because sometimes it was coming off RPO. Sometimes the same route was coming off of drop back. So when they were coming off the drop back, those guys were able to get out there and reroute them. And it almost resulted in the interception in the second half. So I thought it was a good adjustment by Northwestern in their quarter scheme to be able to play their walkout will, walkout nickel. You know, against like an open 10 feet two by two set, played a little differently. So, you know, you notice that. The other thing noticed with the Northwestern defense was it really strong in holding their disguise. They weren't super complicated. There wasn't a lot of different looks, but being able, you know, what I call squirming to the post, where we're going to hold our two high shell and we're going to hold it until the snap and then we're going to drop safety in and then roll the safety to the middle. There was There was multiple times that. I saw the Nebraska quarterback take the ball, look where he thought he was going to go versus quarters, and then see the rotation of the safeties and then have to pat the ball and, and get it out late. You know, one got batted down. I think one actually was a completion, but they made him go clear across the field to get there. So that was just good up front by the Nebraska line to, to keep him clean for those, those reads. But I thought the quarters scheme mixed with the cover three and the rotation with Northwestern, it was pretty timely. And then – you know, those seams, if you recall late in the game, they almost they, they got an interception, not the last one, but the one before that, off the seam throw. And, uh, you know, they went to some man coverage too later in the game, something that they didn't show as early in the game. So I thought that was a good adjustment because Nebraska kept trying to get those seam balls in there. And I'll say this, I actually had the opportunity to play Mark Whipple's offense last year in an opening game. Right? He was at Pitt and I was at UMass. He is very good, I mean, as an offense, for sure, he's done a great job over time. But horizontal passing game, like he is going to find ways to stretch you. And he's going to run a lot of the same routes, and he's going to find the formation that's going to make you struggle. He's going to run it out of that. And I think it, you know, pretty good job by Northwestern's guys. You can see over time in the game being able to play those routes. I mean, he runs like a mesh concept without one crosser. So he's going to sit a guy over the ball. He's going to get an OTB, and then he's going to pick a, a shallow right underneath of that. And he's going to do it on every formation you can think of. And I thought Northwestern, their underneath coverage guys, adjusted to it uh, well over time. And it was uh, it was good. Coach, you mentioned 
uh, a little bit of these guys starting to reroute those uh, whatever they might be, the glances, some seams, stuff like that. Uh, I know those types of things when you're able to do that effectively. And I think there's there's some things, you know, offenses try to do to, to hurt those uh, reroutes. But if you can do it effectively, you definitely are getting the quarterback to move through the progression. Now on the offensive side, obviously there's things uh, the, that we're trying to avoid stopping our feet, using two hands, to, to get off of a guy, et cetera, things that are going to slow him down and take him off. So for you, what are some of the key things you're teaching in the reroute to uh, to make that guy really move past that route and onto something else? Well, what I thought was interesting is, is these guys that were, were doing that as the game evolved were the eight, were true like apex players. And, and a lot of times you don't see them expand out to do that, right? You kind of, you know, in a palms look or you're going to play like a press quarters where the safety's got two up and out. A lot of times, those apex players, they're just eyes and intentions are inside, and they ain't worried about anything going on out there. So I, I think that, you know, where, where I thought it was it was pretty good was I would imagine that's not a technique they practice a lot from those alignments. So, you know, you're still a part of the run fit, and then you're able to reroute too. That, that's not a common thing typically in, in a quarter system. So I, I did think that, for one, just to be able to get that coach on the sideline, if that's in fact what was happening, I really I feel pretty strongly it was, yeah, I thought that was pretty good by them. But, yeah, in, in that situation, being able to press out off the pass release and reroute and, and stay underneath of the guy. Right? When you're rerouting someone that you don't have to the flat, it really is a pretty easy job, right? I got to just jam and widen this guy and make him stay on top of me, stay on his low hip, and then I got to wheel back underneath of him if nothing's taking me to the flat. So, you know, a lot of times maybe if you're a curl flat player in cover three and you're going to reroute, you, know, you have that guy to the flat, you know, there's nobody necessarily in the seam that has him vertical. So maybe, you know, you feel like a little more stressed to make sure you get hands on that guy where if you're an apex player and he, and he stems at you at all, thinking, you know, again, you're an apex player, I can stem at him because he's not going to reroute me because that's not what typical true apex players do. And then he buzzed out of there and knocks you wide. So schematically, I thought it was really smart. And then I just think, you know, staying low hip, using that outside hand to jam, keeping vision and staying square line of scrimmage so I can roll back inside, right? We, we would call roll the hole. Roll the hole with the seam bender. If three's not pulling you out there, now you've really made it a much easier play for the safety. The other thing you mentioned there was the two high disguise and moving to the one high, and it's something that we talked about on the podcast a couple of weeks ago with Cody Alexander, and especially from the NFL perspective, a lot of things doing that. And I believe he even said he, he expected some of that to filter down and you know, seeing some of that on Saturday, which is exactly what we did. Now, the advantage of that, you know, we teach quarterbacks to get those indicators and see those indicators as much as they can pre-snap, if they can do something with their cadence to get guys to move, but especially post-snap being able to, to see some things on those first steps. So the longer, as you said, holding your disguise, the longer you're able to do that, you force a guy through his progression and, and obviously create more time for your guys to get there and sack him or disrupt the pass. Yeah, so, you know, I thought they did a good job, too. So they're holding the disguise when they ran a few fire zones. So dropping the safety in to replace whoever was blitzing uh, was good. And then they were also running, you know, they were running some cover three rotations based on formation. So, so they ran some buzz to three by one, and they were skying a lot of the two-back stuff and, and, and 11 personnel stuff, you know, rotating weak versus buzzing it. So, and I thought 
that's always good too, to be able to do that, you know, because it just gives you some some different rotation, different pictures. But the the big thing to me is the way you can hold those looks. You have to be really good at coaching those techniques. As far as, I mean, if you're gonna if you line up and you say I'm playing weak rotation cover three in practice, and I'm holding that safety over number two of the field, and I'm holding him, holding him, holding him, the ball snaps, and he's got to open and fly out of there. Okay. Well, the day that he's late in practice and they launch a post ball through the middle of the field and the head coach says, what coverage are you in? And you say, uh, cover three. He said, well, how the hell did we just throw a post ball through the middle of the field if you were in cover three? Well, I'm holding this disguise. <laughs> yeah, they usually don't fly too well, right? So you got to be really confident in coaching the techniques of holding that and then the, the footwork that it takes to get to the depth and to the landmarks that you need those guys to get to. And you got it, it takes a lot of time. It takes a lot of time to get good at that stuff to, to where you can say it's game ready and you can really, you know, confuse a quarterback with it. So, you know, I, I thought that just watching it, I thought they did a nice job with that. And I think, you know, it, it's everything's a give and take because maybe they weren't as complicated on defense. Maybe they don't have as many sims or as many fire zones. But, you know, they're going to get – they get they make their money some other way, right, with, with some disguises and – you know, the, the ability to just to do that and play some different rotations and cover three. Now, in, in looking at the high school game, one thing that I see quite often is, you know, teams are trying to do that. They're trying to give you a two shell and disguise things. But a lot of times I find that they're giving it away by their alignment. And it's exactly what you said. Maybe that player doesn't have the technique uh, to get to a certain spot from where he is. So now he cheats and truthfully, I don't know how much I know in in working with some quarterbacks over the last few years, that's something we'd look at and we would pick out every single week. And so it was really easy. They could see pre-snap and this is what they're doing. Here's who's, who's, uh, who's going back. Here's who's coming down, et cetera. And looking at it, just thinking from that perspective, is there value in just saying, you know, we're going to line up and p- play this very well rather than we're going to kind of half disguise it and line up in a cheat? Uh, your thoughts on that, I guess, just from a, a strategy perspective, it's h- how would you approach that? I believe there's two ways to do it. I believe in you can always line up in one thing and try to get to everything from that. And that's what, you know, you had mentioned your podcast with Cody Alexander, and he was talking about the Chargers kind of basically launch everything from a quarter shell. You know, and that's a Fangio kind of thing where everything is going to look basically the exact same pre-snap, and they're going to try to get to everything from that, right? Maybe not man or whatever, but for 90% of the defense, they're going to try to launch from the same look. And I think you can do that. I take the approach, I try to call the disguise. So if we're going to be in cover three, maybe 10 times in the game, right, two or three of them, I want it to look exactly like cover three, right? Then two or three of them, I want it to look like we're going to be in three rotated weak. And then when the ball snaps, we're actually in three rotated strong. And then two or three of them, I want it to look like it's going to be some version of split safety defense. And then all of a sudden on the snap, it's three. So I think that the only way you can do that is if you name them and you call them. So we got words that we tag at the beginning of the call. I got like five or six of them that tells the back end and the linebackers. Because I'll walk that backer out there too and then have him kick back in at the snap. You know, and then he's got to know based on backfield set and maybe stunts that we're cutting the front with, he's got to know, okay, I got to get back in a little early here because the back's to me and I got the A gap and that thing might run away from me. But the back's away, I mean, I can hold this thing even longer. So 
I believe in calling it. I believe that you as the coach need to handle that. I don't think you can get it. You can get multiple looks to the same call if you don't handle that as a coach and you don't rep it and you don't practice it and you don't build out a system to do that. And I think that what's important there is that all the players that matter in this picture are on the same page. And typically that's going to be your nickel, both safeties, and then your will backer as far as whether they're walked out and whether or not. And sometimes the mic may be an open three-by-one, but most of the time, as long as the mic's in the box somewhere, the mic's in the box, not too worried about them. But those two edge guys that could be walked out over split out number twos and then both safeties. And one thing, like you're saying, like, yeah, if that safety's got to cheat over, I think there might be a prevailing thought sometimes that the depth of the safeties is what the deep, that's what the offense going to look at. Like, yeah, well, the safeties are both at 12, but they're, like, only, like, five yards apart. Okay, well, that means that guy's already in the middle of the field. He's going right. to get out of there. And then the other safety, he's going to come down on the snap, right? So if, if I call – the, the tag that it looks like shell and we're getting two post, then you better not be further than a yard away from where you would be if we were in quarters or cover two. And now one part that's good there is I generally with NFL landmarks play the safety tighter in cover two than I do in quarters. He's not necessarily his alignment's not really based off two based off the, the box. Now, if there's oversplit of two, he can adjust. But for general splits, it's not really based off two. So there, there's enough wiggle room maybe for us to, to get that handled. But, yeah, I think I think it, if you just tell the safeties, hey, you just got to stay at 12 and then your width doesn't really matter, just align to where you can do your job, then you're just going to coach the quarterback, hey, their depth doesn't matter, just look at their width. This guy's already slid in the field. So, if you if you're not truly that quarterback has to look out there and not be sure, and if there's yes. something that you're giving them to be sure or have a clue, then you might as well just line up in it, you know. And and there is merit to line up in it now. I'm not. I mean, there is a lot of defenses in, in in pro football even that. I mean, they're in one high, and the safety's 23 yards deep, and everybody's down. And what are you going to do? You you got things you can attack, and you know you're going to try to find in three by one and see if they're going to play the corner off in the third or if they're going to press him up. And, you know, I mean, there, there's things you're going to attack and do, but, you know, those people have their answers too. The thing that concerns me about being in like the cookie cutter shell and cookie cutter one high is that the quarterback always knows where to go with the ball. You're not going to surprise them very often and him throw, throw you, throw you one, you know, like even if you can't get it completed because you're in tight coverage and you got great technique and you're playing really hard, he ain't going to drop back very often and be like, wow, I didn't expect the guy lined up over two to buzz out in the curl. Can't believe I threw that ball out there. No. Like, he knows where they're going to be. And not that he won't throw a pick, but I want him to catch that ball and be like, oh, this is not what I thought it was about to be. Right. right. Yeah, I, I think that's a good answer. And if you have a guy who obviously, you know, maybe limited skill, you have to move him around too much that you just you have too many tells that you're really yeah you're lined up in a too high shell but I could tell okay he's outside the hash by two yards you're playing two because he's got to get over the top or you're rolling to the middle now because he's four yards inside the hash like all that becomes easy for a quarterback and and now though when sometimes you are disguising sometimes you're not I think now you get into his head a little bit you take away what are easy indicators you think you're making it hard but you 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 make them think and now you know are they standing in the shell i don't know 
Some, they did last time, they didn't this time, and now he's got to go to his his post snap keys. And, and here's the thing, and this is what we deal with in the USFL that's unique is one, we have sideline video, not still shots like the NFL, true video. As soon as you come off sideline, you got you got an iPad that it hands you, and it's got the series on it. It happens as it gets filmed. It's amazing. And the coach to player system in the NFL cuts off at 15 seconds left on the play clock. It never cuts off in the USFL. Mm -hmm. So if we roll down late, Mike Riley's standing on the other side saying, oh, hey, it's three, it's three, it's three. <laughs> and the quarterback, he don't even have to see it. Right, you know? right. The coach is all for him. So it's an interesting dynamic that we have to deal with a little bit, and uh, which I can also do that too, right? I mean, they, they shift to some funky formation. I could tell, tell the linebackers, tell the safety, whatever. You know, I got the same options too, but – it really, I think it benefits the quarterback a little more. So, right. but yeah, I mean, you know, and then, but that's similar to the look back system in college. Right. Mm -hmm. And that's where I don't know, you know, how, how Kendall does it now, but I know in the browse system at one time, they would have signals to tell them where to read based on what they were seeing from that structure. You know, like they would tell the quarterback this side, that side, whatever. And I don't, you know, I don't know if they're still doing all that or whatever, but, I know they had that at one time, and it was like, yeah, I mean, if you unfold your hand, they're going to tell the quarterback, hey, look over here to the right. That's where the play's going to be. And, and all of those things really just speak to having a system, a small system for whether you're on the offensive side of the ball or the defensive side of the ball to get things done. It really allows you then that flexibility uh, to do what you need to over the course of a game. So uh, good stuff. Now, I know you looked a, a lot at the Nebraska side as well. Let's dig into what the Cornhuskers were doing. Like I said, I've looked at a good bit of uh, Eric Shenander's tape as a defensive coach over the years, and whether it be at Central Florida or at Nebraska. And I thought they were a little more vanilla. They just had maybe a little less sims and just blitzes than maybe he normally does. I know he's always liked this, like, plug um, the backer and then run, like, a big tech game with the edge guy over there, and it's a sim pressure, and then you like a plug, and then a four-eye goes, and then they get the outside backer looping, and it's a nice little game. He's ran it in a lot of years. I, that did show up. That's kind of one of the staples I've always thought about their stuff. But for the most part, it was a lot of quarters and a lot of three. And, I, you know, they did not disguise the three or any of the one high. Some of it played out a little bit, you know, maybe like fire zone. But they did not disguise it quite like uh, North. They took the approach, hey, let's get in it. Let's get our eyes on our keys. Let's get down to our depth. Let's play our footwork and let, let's go. And the thing that I found interesting and in, you know, you always find these things interesting when you've been scarred by them because I've been beat on the same thing. But you know, Nebraska got an unbalance to run double post. And so many quarters teams, you either over-rotate the safeties in unbalance and bring the field safety down, boundary safety over, and then the corner high. Or you leave them that way and you poach with the safety, you know, across the formation. And a lot of times that guy's dead. And to get the number back in the run game, you're telling that safety, hey, you got to show up there. you got to show up in the D-gap. you got to show up in the D-gap. And then they block, and the safety freezes. And now you gave them double, gave the offense a chance at double post with no backstop. And it's exactly what Northwestern did. It's, it's smart when you're pretty sure you're going to get quarters in an unbalanced situation. It's smart. you got to make sure as a defensive coach, whoever that backside player is, that he flips turns and closes the middle of the field off pass. And what really makes it a struggle sometimes is when that guy's like in a yo position and he comes back. And you think even if you got like a counter protection scheme, 
now it really makes it hard because that safety or whoever's tracking that guy back knows he's got to show up in that run fit, but there's no backstop for the deep boss, right? So the post turns into like a deep over and it just runs away from the field safety. And, uh, you know, Northwestern hit that, hit one of those on them. And, you know, it is, it's a great, it's a great play against quarters, quarters teams that use quarters to just unbalance, but you got to get that backside player to cut the middle of the field. And, you know, that's in general, I think, you know, anytime you're in a quarters system, if you don't get four verts, the deep ball should be doubled somewhere. And, you know, a lot of teams you get double post off the of seven-man protection. Well, you know, the corner to the field should be outside and on top of the deep post. The field side safety should be in between the posts. And then off the seven-man pro, the backside safety, the boundary safety, should flip turn and be underneath the inside post, right? And that's the thing about quarters and sometimes – you know, you got to take a step back when, when you when you play these split safety defenses. The theme in the NFL, a lot of the teams that play split safety defense, that play quarters, they're playing it for the pass, right? And I think in the theme in college, we play it to stop the run. We play it to, you know, have apex players out there that can sit and be an extra hat for the quarterback. We get tight coverage on the RPO windows. We get those things. And all those things are great, and they're necessary to stop spread offenses, in my opinion. But you want to be able to get the best of both worlds and coach those safeties that have non-vertical threats to be able to get out. You know, it's got to be the quickest. You know, I've called, you know, a lot of people call it curl dig post CDP or, you know, two-to-one read. And, and then, you know, we say whip the, whip the post, right? So I'm the safety, and I see seven-man protection, tight end blocks down, my eyes flash to number one. He's an outside release. Now I know I got no work. Now I'm going to whip the post. And that's got to be such a second-nature thing to a quarter safety and you should, as a safety in those defenses, think, all right, when I get non-verticals, I'm about to steal something. And then really working those rotations, and it, I always likened it to, you know, if you're a baseball fan, when the ball gets hit in the outfield, how the infield backups rotations work, right? Mm-hmm. If you get hit to right field, we go one way. If you get hit to left field, we go the other way, center, whatever it is. So, like, you know, if you got an in-cut on the backside of double post, the safety's going to hammer that the corner is going to be the guy that ends up underneath the inside post, right? So the backside corner. So once you get all those rotations down and you can do that and also use quarters to stop the spread run game, I really think you get the best of both worlds there. But, you know, sometimes I think that stuff is just a little bit behind because we take the approach in the college game that we're calling this to stop the run. Or in the NFL, they're calling it to stop the pass. I think we could both learn from each other and, and get the thing really going in the right direction. Yeah, some great points there. Well, that brings us to the portion of this podcast where we're going to talk about defending options, something that's near and dear to you, and you've been around and had to do it quite a bit. So you got three tips for us today. The triple tip, triple option segment. The first thing I would say, you know, teams that are getting ready to play, if you're going to play Army, Air Force, or Navy, or, you know, an FCS level, I know Kennesaw State, I know Salisbury at the D3 level, whatever it is, I'm sure there's other teams out there, don't leave anybody out, but I know there's some really good option coaches out there and and option teams. But as you get ready to play them this week, and a lot of people are already practicing, whatever, just make sure as a coach, your young coaches, your GAs, your QCs, your scout team guys, this really has to be their Super Bowl. There is no scout team all year that's going to be more important from a look standpoint than this scout team. Because you play it once a year, Maybe you might not even play it once a year. You might play it once every couple of years. And these guys do this job on offense every single day. And when I was at the University of Houston, I was running the scout team in 2015. 
and we were about to play Navy at home for a chance to go to the conference championship game. And Keenan Reynolds is one of the great Navy quarterback and, and a great competitor that uh, one of the better quarterbacks I've ever played against. People ask that all the time, you know, when I've had this conversation with people, who's the best quarterback you ever coached against? It might be Keenan Reynolds, <laughs> and, you know, a great competitor. And I actually was very fortunate running the scout team. I had a transfer, power five transfer wide receiver who had to sit out before kind of the new transfer rules. He was our quarterback. His dad's a coach. Now this guy's a coach now. He's a highly successful coach. Both the slots were Division One transfers, and the fullback was actually at, Na- at the Naval Academy in the prep school the previous year. So I had a really talented group, and we beat a really, really talented and really good Navy team. And, and a big part of our performance on defense, actually, they were able to throw the ball really well on us, but we stopped the run, essentially. And a big part of that was just the coaches – scout coaches, players, people taking the scout team really serious. And I remind you this, and this is something that I believe in strongly, the fastest play that you see in practice, practicing against a triple, is not going to be anywhere near as fast as the slowest play those players see in the game. So remind them of that. Remind your scout teams of that, how fast and how important the execution is. The second tip would be don't clutter your game plan and your brain looking at fronts that other defenses ran that aren't what you're going to run. So the run plays that they got, if you're going to be a, a four-down system, the run plays that the odd teams got are not going to be the run plays that you get. And if they are some crossovers, like midline and stuff like that, it's not going to be blocked the same. So watch the for the runs, watch the front structures that you are going to be in, and that's what you're going to get. It kind of becomes a cheesy line when you play these guys, but you know they're just going to look in the Bible. Well, that it, it's not – it's not false. Like, that's what they're going to do. They're, they're going to look what you're doing. If you're a four-down team, where you're putting the bubble. If you're an odd team, you know, how your safeties are playing it, or if it's completely balanced, like a lot of odd teams are, they're going to run to the field, and they're going to run these three or four plays. If you're in bear, they're going to run the perimeter. Run rocket toss. They're going to run load option. Run Q sweep. They're going to run the plays that are on the tape versus those fronts. And then for the passes, they're going to run the passes. First one high that they like versus one high. Versus two high, they like versus two high. Four years at Houston playing Navy, and we were three and one against them. And you know, the one they beat us might have been the best team we had at Houston. They beat us. They, they, they had great teams those years, and, and it's a great program. But we had practiced a twirl four verts play every year, and we never saw it because we were always too high. And I get to New Mexico, and I get to work with Bob Davies. I believe he's been the defensive coordinator for like twenty six triple option games because you know, at Notre Dame they had to play all three of them every year. It's amazing. And it's amazing how much he knows and how many different coverages and fronts he played those guys in because he didn't want to play them in the same thing every year. And so, you know, he was just like he, – he was – you know, he gave me these ideas here. Like, hey, don't pay attention to this. Right? This is not – like, don't worry about this play. We're not going to see it. We're going to be too high. I'm like, wait a minute. You don't like, so you think there's no chance? He said, no chance. Like, we won't see it. And I'm like, man, we practiced that play for four years. And no wonder we didn't see it, right? Like, these guys tell me there's no chance. So – you know, it, it was one of those things that opened my eyes. But don't veer off on those things. And then the last thing, when you go into a, uh, I say regular game, but you're playing a normal spread offense, a pro-style offense, everybody focuses on the situations they believe in. And usually those are third down, third and long, third and medium, and red zone, right? Those are going to be the stats that win you the game. Those will not be the stats that win you the game versus triple option team. The short yardage situations will win you the game. So whether it's fourth and ones, third and ones, fourth and twos, third and twos, goal line, you can get stops there 
that's when you can have a chance to win the game. And I, I think that a lot of people think about the, the five stops rule. Right? A lot of people say that. I've heard coaches at different schools and, and things. If we can get five stops, we got a chance. Well, that's true. You're not going to get them to third and long five times more than likely. If you get them third and long five times, you're probably beat them, beat them pretty sound. Right? Yeah. I get that. That happens. But most of the time to get those five stops, you're going to need a turnover or two. And they will put it on the ground now. They will put it on the ground. They will pitch one back there. They'll put it on the ground. You're going to get turnover or two, and you're going to have to get two or three stops in short yardage. And if you can get that done, you know, I think that gives you your team the best chance to win, and that's where you really got to build that into the players throughout the week. Like, this ain't going to be the week you're going to get the edge rush sacks on third and seven. What I need you to do is I need you to run off the tackle's butt when he veers and smoke the fullback and make sure he don't get an extra inch. And there will be things that these teams will do in the short yardage situations, and you can have a plan for them. So, you know, I think those are three big tips as you finish your game plan, as you're watching. I mean, from a, from a what you're going to play structure standpoint, everybody's probably already decided that. Whether you play them now or you play them week 12, you probably already, hey, I'm going to play four down, play one high, whatever. But scout team Super Bowl, use tape from the fronts that you're going to run for the run plays. Use tape from the coverage structures you're going to be in for the pass plays. Don't cloud your mind with stuff that's crossover that you think they might run just because they might do this. I'm saying that they can't or ever won't, but they probably won't. <laughs> and the last thing is the situation you need to focus on is short yardage and goal line. Get those stops on third and one, fourth and one. You got a chance to win the game. Coach, great job this week. Thank you for the preparation that you put into this and certainly good tips there to stop the option. And we'll be back again next week for some more. And I'm definitely looking forward to it. Yeah, big weekend, man. Everybody's playing this weekend, so it's exciting. Before we go, a few related items and resources I want to share. These will be in the show notes. We did do a podcast with Eric Shenander. He's an incredible teacher of the game. If you haven't heard that one from the archives, you're going to want to check that one out. We talked about tackling system, and there's a playlist called the Coach Dig playlist. Vince Digitano, a Fordham assistant who knows tackling, in my opinion, better than anybody in the country, and he put together year-round tackling plans. That's a resource you're going to want to check out. I think you can use it now. There's things in there that will help you make a difference this season in your tackling. Cody Alexander's podcast will be linked there, as well as our other podcast from In Season with Dan Carroll. 